Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Rise and Shine podcast. I'm your host, Johanna Kaiser, and today I have a really cool topic for you. As soon as school has ended for me, kind of the nerdy side of me came out again, and I really sat down and I did some digging into the topic of women and public speaking because I think. For women, it is actually a lot harder to be a successful public speaker than it is for men. And so I was sitting down and I did some research into that topic and I realized that there is actually a lot to it. So with this episode, I'm starting a three-part series about the topic women and public speaking. The first episode, which you are listening to today, is about the vocal pitch of women and how that can be something that is an impediment to the success of public speaking for women. I think it's a really cool episode. I think it's one of my best uh, solo episodes thus far and I really hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get right into it and I hope you enjoy this one. Okay, let's start way back. In antiquity, Rhetorical skills were a lot more important than they are nowadays. In antiquity, every single person who went to school underwent an education in rhetorics. And rhetorics included practicing giving public speeches. Practicing giving public speeches in court, basically like a lawyer does nowadays. Practicing just having debates and arguing with other people about stuff similar to what we nowadays have as debate clubs or something like that. And then also practicing giving speeches about just fun topics that you can then, for example, use to entertain other people during a dinner party. So rhetorical skills were super important. And in fact, in antiquity, people would not necessarily have a lawyer to speak for them in court, but they could actually appear in court and were in some cases, in a lot of cases, ready to defend themselves in court and to speak on their own behalf and not having to rely on someone else to do that for them uh, like we have nowadays. Obviously, the legal situation back then was probably also a lot more simplified and we didn't have all of the they didn't have all of the ins and outs of different laws at the time but still I think you get the point and it was also the case that typically it was more men than women who were trained to speak in public and I'm not saying that women uh, or girls weren't allowed to go to school because they were but when it came to the rhetorical practices in the everyday life of the Roman society, it was the men and not the women who had the speaking roles. And especially in court, and that's why I brought this example up earlier, it was super uncommon to have women speak up because men didn't like the way women were speaking. And now you kind of see where I'm coming from um, using this topic or this angle for today's podcast episode because that's what I'm basically trying to talk about. So female voices in public speaking were something that were always considered less powerful and less maybe less confident and there's actually one specific example that I want to read out to you and that is 
a piece of writing by the first century Latin author Valerius Maximus, who wrote um, 12 books, sorry, nine books of memorable deeds and sayings, that you know, just anecdotes from the Roman life. And he actually wrote a section about women who pleaded in court and either for themselves or for other people that they were helping to defend. So he says, nor should I be silent about those women whose natural condition and the modesty of the matron's robe could not make them keep silent in the forum and in the courts of law. So what Valerius Maximus is saying here that the natural condition, which is that the female voice and maybe even the female intellect is less powerful than the male one. And that is usually what keeps women out of the court, along with their modesty, because putting yourself on display and arguing is apparently something that is immodest. So then he goes ahead and presents three examples. He says, Masia of Centinum pleaded her own case as a defendant with Praetor Lucius Titius as president of the court in a great concourse of people going through all the forms and stages of a defense, not only thoroughly, but boldly. She was acquitted at the first hearing and by an almost unanimous vote. Because she bore a man's spirit under the form of a woman, they called her androgyny. So what Valerius Maximus is saying here, that this woman, Masia, was only successful in court because she bears a man's spirit in in herself and that's why she was successful in court so her skill her rhetorical skill is not attributed to her being a woman but it is attributed to her only with the excuse that actually she has a male spirit and that's why she's a good public speaker so there's another example like i said there are three so this is the second one Carfania, wife of the senator Lucinus Bucchio, was ever ready for a lawsuit and always spoke on her own behalf before the praetor, not only because she could not find advocates, but because she had impudence to spare. So by constantly plaguing the tribunals with barkings, to which the forum was unaccustomed, she became a notorious example of female litigiousness so much so that women of shameless habit are taunted with the name Carfania by way of reproach. This example, I think, is really interesting because I think it resembles a lot of what we nowadays still attribute to women if they are too loud, too bossy, too out there in the modern world. And that's basically what happened to this individual Carfania in antiquity. So she was confident in her public speaking and she always spoke on her own behalf and she didn't seek an advocate. And I mean, this author also mentions that she wouldn't find an advocate for whatever reason, but that she was also impudent and that's why she didn't mind speaking for herself. So a woman standing up and speaking for herself is from the get-go attributed with her being impudent, which... I don't know, maybe it was a, a customary view of the time. But then it says that when she spoke, there were barkings. So her voice or what she's saying is being called a barking. And 
the um, the forum and the people of the time were unaccustomed to that. And because of the way she talked, she became a notorious example for females seeking out fights, seeking out a lawsuit and just wanting the drama. And to the extent that women of her time who also had like a shameless habit of seeking the drama, seeking the fights, were also called Carfania as an insult. And that's kind of that's mean, but I think it's something that still kind of resonates with our modern society. So finally, there is a, another example, and that is a positive example of a woman speaking in, co- in court. But you will see that also this one has a catch. So here we talk about a girl called Hortensia. And Valerius Maximus writes, Hortensia, daughter of Quintus Hortensius, pleaded the cause of women before the triumvirs resolutely and successfully when the order of matrons had been burdened by them with a heavy tax and none of the other sex ventured to lend them his advocacy. So here, this lady Hortensia is speaking up for other women when there is no male advocate who wants to speak on their behalf. And uh, Valerius Maximus continues, Reviving her father's eloquence, she won the remission of the greater part of the impost. Quintus Hortensius then lived again in his female progeny and inspired his daughter's words. If his male descendants had chosen to follow her example, the great heritage of Hortensian eloquence would not have been cut short with a single speech by a woman. So, you know, I said this is a positive example of a woman speaking in public, but I also said it has a catch because, yes, she did a great job, she won her case, and she spoke really well, but then Valerius Maximus goes along and says that the only reason she spoke so well is because clearly it must have been her father's spirit that was in her when she spoke and um, that her father kind of came to life through her in that court. And finally, Valerius Maximus says that it's a shame that none of their male descendants actually picked up an oratorial career because that way she was the last one who in that family was a successful orator in public And therefore, you can't really use it as an example because it's not a good look for a woman to be the grand finale of the family and their rhetorical accomplishments. So I hope this was a little bit interesting to you. I always like these ancient anecdotes and things like that. That's kind of the reason why I study classics for a very long time now. And this is also a very good point for me to spin off and talk about what I'm trying to tease out in the modern world and what we're still dealing with today. And that is the notion that women per se are not as good orators as men. And I think with feminism, we have come a long way in acknowledging that women too have the same intellectual capacity as men and that women too can be good public speakers but I think there are still some limiting factors 
that stand in the way of a woman being perceived as that successful of a public speaker as a man. And the specific detail that I'm focusing on in today's episode is the woman's voice and the pitch of a voice that clearly seems to make a difference for the perception of a speech. Since, like we heard in Valerius Maximus, this lady Carfania was barking rather than talking. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that women are the only ones who are struggling with their voice not sounding the way society would expect or society thinks it's desirable. In fact, there are also men who struggle with the same problem. Let's look at an example. Now, your voice is very distinctive. Even mm. when at rest, it's high. Yeah, well, this is... Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's, it's a blessing and it's a curse. I mean, it, this, this is me talking normally. Of course, if I wanted to, you know, uh, try to uh, sub, sub, sustain the curse, I could talk down here if I wanted to, but that's just, that's just so much... <laughs> that's just so much effort that, that, I mean, I mean, and I... Okay, so what you just heard was an actor called Chris Colfer, and he was on a talk show giving an interview and the interviewer talked with him about his voice and how unusually high-pitched his male voice is. So, like I said, also men obviously can struggle with the pitch of their voice. But I will show you another clip of this interview and you will see that, for Chris Colfer at least, his higher-pitched voice is more of kind of a cutesy inconvenience that he can even use as a comedic source for his career rather than an actual problem. Literally, like, like people still call me ma'am on the phone. Like, <laughs> and it's just, it's just part of life now. I'm just, I don't, minute, I'm not so, even faced by it anymore. Wait a minute, so when you call places and mm. they answer the phone, they think that you're a woman? Always, yes. Yes. Give me some examples. Well, like, um, I was in New York this week, and every time I'd call down um, to, like, order something for room service, they would say, oh, thank you, ma'am, it'll be there in 45 minutes. And, <laughs> and honestly, it doesn't even bother me anymore. <laughs> No. And like I remember like, like going through drive-thrus was always fun because it's always so shocking when they'd see me. So for Chris Colfer, as you have just heard, the thing with his voice kind of works out. And I think we do have to give him a lot of credit for being sarcastic and self-ironical and being able to make fun of himself like that because that really makes him come across as very charming and very a good sport about, you know, his unique voice and he was actually able to turn this maybe disadvantage as some would say to his personal favor and his voice was actually what made him be on the regular cast of Glee for almost 10 years and um, let's hear just for a final clip uh, what he says about that. When did you realize, when did you realize that your voice wasn't going to change? I don't think I've come to that realization yet. <laughs> Because I mean, I think I think it did change. I think I just went from up here to Mickey Mouse as I am now. Um, but um, no, I remember I, I like I'd go to the doctor and I would I would I would ask. Well, my, my parents would ask, um, and um, and we'd ask, "Is my voice going to change?" And they'd be like, "Well, you're um, 18, um, probably not." And I would you know I'd cry. Um, but uh, but no, I mean I mean it's it's gotten me where I am now. So it, it's absolutely it's it works. So then, because I said this episode is supposed to be dedicated to women in public speaking, 
let's turn over to the female side of things. And there has actually been a pretty prominent example of a woman who was also kind of working with the pitch of her voice to turn it to an advantage in her career. And I'm talking about none other than Elizabeth Holmes for this. Elizabeth Holmes has been in the news in the spring of 2022 because she was the CEO of the scam company called Theranos. And maybe some of you may have seen the show on Hulu called The Dropout where Amanda Seyfried plays her and they retell the story of this company called Theranos that was founded and run by Elizabeth Holmes. And this company claimed that they could revolutionize medical testing at home and make healthcare accessible for people at home with just one drop of blood. And that was in fact not possible, but they were able to scam people and investors for millions and millions of dollars. And when this all came out, it became a huge scandal. And that's how Hulu and other producers um, were made aware of this and they put it into a film. And um, Elizabeth Holmes actually is a female who had to pitch her business to investors and had to come across as very professional and therefore her voice obviously was a very important component in the process of that. And when she went to investors and talked to them, she um, early on figured out that her voice was more effective if it had a deeper pitch. So she actually ended up manipulating her voice to this very, very deep pitch that we know of her. And I'm going to give you an example of that. We are the only lab company that is actually really focused on leading with transparency. So as you can hear, maybe also in the contrast with my own voice, Elizabeth Holmes's voice does sound pretty deep. Some reporters have called her voice a baritone voice, even though I think technically speaking, that is not actually what it is. And the reason why people have been saying that Elizabeth Holmes has been manipulating her voice to sound more authoritative, more professional, more serious, is because there is actually evidence of one, people who remember her from before her time at Theranos, and two, there is also an audio clip from an interview in which Elizabeth Holmes apparently slipped up and used her higher-pitched voice to answer a question just to then switch back to her lower-pitched fake voice to answer that question. And I don't actually know what specifically the question was, but I do have a recording of her response and I want to play it for you. No, it hasn't. Well, if I use traditional words to describe what we're doing, it's hard because people then associate it with conventional processes. So I think it's pretty hard to deny that there's a difference between the way she starts giving this response and the way that she ends. And the voice at the end is obviously a lot deeper, which is why people think that she has been faking it and that this one time she slipped up. Even though she publicly has been denying that she has been manipulating her own voice in any way. So then there is the question, why do women like Elizabeth Holmes feel the need to change their voice and to give it a deeper pitch. So I think I already mentioned that a deeper voice is often associated with more 
authority, more professionalism, also more with competence a lot of the time. And I think that definitely must be ingrained from the notion that the male voice, which is usually the deeper voice, has the power, has the authority. So I think it has something to do with that cultural notion. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be like super feminist here and argue that it's a toxic like system or whatever. I'm just saying that culturally, this seems to be the perception. And therefore, women, yeah, often try to replicate that notion. So I think this is kind of all that I want to talk about the pitch of the voice generally for this episode. But there are two more things that I want to mention that I think are really interesting. And of course, Elizabeth Holmes is not the only woman who is manipulating her voice to some capacity. And of course, <laughs> very few women do it to the extreme that Elizabeth Holmes has been doing it. But women definitely do manipulate their voice too when they speak in public. And I just want to give you an example and I want to see if you can hear for yourself what I mean. And I realized it was just the lighting. So this was, of course, none other than Kim Kardashian. And did you hear what she just did there? Wait, I'm going to play it one more time. And I realized it was just the lighting. So what we hear in Kim Kardashian's voice is what linguists nowadays call vocal fry. Vocal fry is a phenomenon in which you pitch your voice in a raspy and kind of lower way. And typically it is something that is very popular right now in pop culture. So a lot of actors and actresses do it, but also of course influencers on social media. And the reason why I think this is so interesting for this podcast episode is because I have even heard vocal fry in academia. I have heard presenters use vocal fry to lower the pitch of their voice. And I think they probably do that because with a lower pitch of their voice, like I said previously, which is culturally usually perceived as more powerful, more authoritative, they therefore also want to make what they're saying appear to be more truthful, more sure of themselves, more confident. And I was looking for a recording of a good example for a while, but I actually didn't really find a recording of a female speaker on YouTube for this purpose. But, and I really hope I don't get in trouble for this, but I actually have a colleague in my department who uses vocal fry all the time. And in this case, it's not a girl, but my colleague is a guy. I haven't told him that he uses vocal fry all the time and that, in my opinion, he should stop it because it doesn't sound too great, in my opinion. But he does it all the time. And I just want to show you an example of him speaking so you know what I'm talking about here. Our international team of archaeologists has been working for over 60 years to uncover Sardis's complex 4,000-year history. 
So this clip is from a YouTube video that uses his voiceover. And I think where you hear the most his vocal fry is towards the end of that clip when he says 4,000 year history. So I could obviously pull several more examples of this out of this clip, but I don't want to bore you and I also want to keep this podcast moving. So like I said, vocal fry is a pretty common phenomenon right now. And I think it is also a phenomenon that is a little bit like a double-edged sword. So like I said, people use vocal fry to lower their voice because lower voices are perceived as being more authoritative. At the same time though, because when you are using vocal fry, it is clear to an audience that you are manipulating the pitch of your voice and you are manipulating the way you speak in an attempt to sound more authoritative, that doesn't sit well with a lot of audiences. So people often say that using a vocal fry makes you sound less confident, less sure of yourself, maybe even less competent because if you have the need to manipulate your voice, maybe you don't really know what you're talking about and even less intelligent, less trustworthy, and less attractive. Essentially, when you're using vocal fry, you're shooting yourself in your own foot because yes, you're trying to sound more serious, more, more like powerful, authoritative by lowering your voice, but at the same time, your audience can see through that pretty easily and they don't trust you for that reason because they obviously see that you're manipulating your voice. Another thing that women oftentimes do and that is something that is being criticized a lot of the time is a phenomenon called uptalk. Uptalk, I don't really have to give you a clip for right now because I can break it down pretty easily to you. Uptalk is when you end sentences in a high terminal note so terminal at the end of the sentence you talk up towards the end of the sentence it's as if i for example say hi my name is johanna how are you today i am doing great i think the weather today is good so you see what i'm doing i mean obviously it sounded very artificial because i was really focusing on doing it but it is the habit of a lot of especially women to raise their voice at the end of each sentence and therefore making every sentence kind of sound like a question. So by changing the pitch of your voice towards the end, you make things sound as if you're not really sure of something. And that is exactly what people often criticize about the high terminal note in a sentence that people who use that are just not really sure of what they're saying. They're not really confident in it. They, they don't really know. They kind of sound maybe a little dumb if they, if they talk about stuff that they actually know for sure. And that's why, especially in women, it has become such a big point of criticism when it comes to their public speaking. So the question remains, how do we remedy those things? And obviously, I don't really know because 
um, I'm not a linguist. I'm not the person who makes the rules in this society. But I think as women, we should own our own female voice. And I don't know if I should tell the story in this podcast episode, but I actually was bullied in school for my voice because it is a higher pitched voice. People called me Mickey Mouse. People called me names for my voice. And I will say it has become a little bit lower when I went through puberty, like since like the past 10, 15 years, it has come down a little bit. It also kind of depends on the language that I'm speaking. So generally, when I'm speaking in German, my voice is actually a little bit lower than when I speak in English most of the time. But yeah, my, my voice is still pretty high pitched. And yet I'm not doing vocal fry all the time. Yes, sometimes I do it kind of unintentionally or I don't really know. It sometimes just happens that some of my words come out a little bit fried. But I'm not using vocal fry consciously as a tool to make myself sound more authoritative. And like, see, it was just there. authoritative, like when I said that. <laughs> okay, whatever. Instead, I think what women should do is we should follow what Naomi Wolf has written in The Guardian. We should give up things like the vocal fry and we should give up the high terminal note and reclaim our strong female voices. Because if you know your shit, if you have something to say, then just say it. And your voice is just perfectly fine for that. And honestly, I feel like feminism has already come such a long way and we have already accomplished so much in the past century alone, starting, like, just imagine, in many countries, 100 years ago, women were not even allowed to vote. And here we are. And I feel like a lot has improved. And yes, we bitch about it all the time because there is more that still needs to improve. But we're not getting there by just complaining about it all the time. We're getting there by raising our voices, our female voices, and addressing shit. So with that note, I feel like I feel confident <laughs> leaving you off. This was a good ending to this podcast episode. I hope this was informative to you and somewhat interesting as well. It was definitely a blast for me to make this episode. I enjoyed all the editing with little clips and I hope you enjoyed that too. If you thought this was a particularly good episode, then I would be super happy if you could maybe give me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast or even send me an email or something and give me some feedback or ask questions or whatever. Whatever you feel like, just holler and I'll hear it. Um, also, because I just said I started this as a series, next week I'm going to continue talking about the same topic and I'm going to talk about not how women talk, meaning their voice, but the way women choose their words compared to maybe men. Because that obviously is something that is crucial for public speaking and that influences how female public speaking is perceived. So I hope this interests you and I hope you come back for next week's episode. And with that, I hope you have an amazing week and I'll talk to you next week. Bye, friends.